meddled with the primal forces of nature, Mr. Beale, and I won't have it. Is that clear? You think you merely stopped a business deal. That is not the case. The Arabs have taken billions of dollars out of this country, and now they must put it back. It is ebb and flow, tidal gravity. It is ecological balance. You are an old man who thinks in terms of nations and peoples. There are no nations. There are no peoples. There are no Russians. There are no Arabs. There are no third worlds. There is no West. There is only one holistic system of systems. One vast and imane, interwoven, interacting, multivariate, multinational dominion of dollars. Petrodollars, electrodollars, multidollars, Reichmarks, rins, rubles, pounds, and shekels. It is the international system of currency which determines the totality of life on this planet. That is... Welcome back. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to the Sunday Wire. I'm your host, Patrick Henningsen. We're streaming out live on the Alternate Current Radio Network and also over 21stCenturyWire.com and also after the show uh, for our download community at iTunes. Uh, you can download the show an episode uh, later today, uh, but immediately you can download uh, via the Spreaker API uh, on our show page after the show, after the live broadcast. And uh, before I introduce my next guest, uh, we've got a shout poll. We've got a new, actually a new series of shout polls. We're going to run a, something a little bit different uh, this week. We're doing a competition uh, in, in the spirit of the NC2A Final Four. Uh, we're going, we have a Final Four of four polls, which we're going to release. The first one is out today. And we're doing a competition to see what are the biggest fake news outlets uh, out there in the media and the corporate mainstream media. So the first poll is, which is a bigger uh, fake news outlet, CNN or NBC, stroke MSNBC, because it's the same corporation, CNN or NBC, stroke MSNBC. Uh, go there. There's a link on the show page. Go and vote. Vote and comment and share it on social media. Get people engaged on this poll. And we've got the next one coming is the New York Times versus the Washington Post. And we've got another one, the BBC versus Channel 4, and and so on. So, And whoever the winner is will we'll announce a champion uh, at the end of the month, uh, right around the final four times. So, and hopefully uh, we'll see who is going to be the biggest, greatest fake news outlet of all time. And, uh, you know, place your bets, ladies and gentlemen, place your bets. So please engage in that poll. Now, our next guest, our next guest is a uh, current affairs analyst. Uh, he's also a, a media analyst. He is independent, uh, and I believe he's based uh, in Germany, and he is uh, part Syrian, and his name is Kavork Almazian, and he is also uh, the uh, editor of Syriana Analysis. There's a link to his uh, page on our show page, and uh, we'd like to welcome him 
to the Sunday Wire this week. Hello, Kavork. Hello, sir. Thank you for having me. No, it's our pleasure. It's our pleasure. And, um, you know, what a fantastic uh, job, I must say, that you did uh, on a recent report on Amnesty International, uh, where you did an analysis on what Amnesty uh, has been doing lately uh, in terms of what it's the information it's putting out uh, about Syria. Great video report. We've got it up on 21st Century Wire uh, under the, the fake news collection for Fake News Week analysis of mainstream fake news. Um, great report, Kavork. And, you know, uh, let's start this conversation off. Let's just uh, introduce yourself. Uh, tell us, you know, who you are and what you're doing right now and how you got into what you're doing. Uh, actually, my name is Kevork Almasian. I'm from Syria, uh, Aleppo, and uh, recently moved to Germany. I'm currently doing freelance journalism and also uh, managing uh, the Syrian analysis in order to produce videos uh, for the Western public that reveals the fake news and also to bring the truth of what's happening in my country uh, to the Western audience. Uh, unfortunately, uh, since the beginning of the war on Syria, I say on Syria because it was uh, a proxy war launched by uh, several Western countries in collaboration with their proxies in the Middle East, namely Turkey, Qatar, and Saudi Arabia. They uh, destabilized uh, Syria in order to overthrow the uh, the government of Syria and replace it with a friendly government uh, in order to uh, achieve their geopolitical interests in Syria. Uh, this is uh, a very uh, interesting issue for uh, the um, international audience because uh, in the media they always try to portray that this is a humanitarian issue what's going on in Syria and this is a fight for democracy and human rights uh, however the western governments themselves they support and arm uh, genocidal groups on the ground in order to overthrow the secular government of Syria so uh, I am not a big fan of the Syrian government. However, I'm uh, I'm very sure that this government is uh, fighting for my um, for the sovereignty of Syria and the f for the future of my uh, my children. Because if the alternative, which is the uh, genocidal Wahhabi Salafi groups, if they come to power, uh, I believe uh, we will erase uh, 7,000 years old civilization in Syria. Just look what's happening in Palmyra and uh, in other ancient places. Uh, I mean, uh, there is no difference between the rebels and ISIS uh, if we compare what happened in Palmyra with uh, um, uh, with uh, Christian villages in the suburbs of uh, Damascus, where the rebels invaded, the so-called rebels invaded that areas, and they committed a lot of atrocities. Therefore, uh, I am um, well aware that the, uh, the, the current government, uh, uh, although it is not uh, perfect, but uh, the alternative is uh, um, will destroy the 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 history of Syria, the present, and the future. They Therefore, for us, in order to survive and in order to continue, someone has to speak up loudly. I'm not saying that I will try to deliver all the voices, but uh, the people in Syria, the, the majority, the silent majority, uh, Syrians, they don't have a voice in the, in the mainstream media. They always try to silence them by trying to say they are an Assad apologist, uh, they are uh, Shabihas and... Uh, 
their other dirty uh, um, uh, titles. Uh, but these people are the majority. They are with their government and with the Syrian army against uh, these genocidal groups. And uh, at the moment, if you check uh, the living conditions of the Syrian people, you will raise your uh, uh, um, hat. You will say chapeau for them because without fuel, without electricity, without water, without medicine because the Western governments are imposing sanctions, even on the health sector of Syria, uh, the people are still surviving and they are fighting against these uh, terror organizations. Uh, this is uh, one of the things that encouraged me to do uh, to create the Syrian Analysis uh, Channel. And recently I uh, posted a video about the uh, Amnesty International report about the alleged executions uh, in Sednaya prison. We all know that the prisons of Syria are not perfect. However, this is uh, a fairy tale story by the Amnesty International. I am myself a master student of political science, and I know how um, an investigative report is written, uh, especially when it comes to methodology. Uh, the Amnesty International, uh, the, last, uh, the latest report lacks methodology. There is no uh, credible sources in this uh, uh, report. It's, it's a pure uh, fake uh, news. Hold on. Yeah, oh, go ahead, Kavork, if you just uh, uh, resume where you, uh, where you left off. Actually, I am myself uh, a student of political science, master student of political science, and I know every investigative uh, uh, report has to have uh, a methodology. And uh, the Amnesty International reports uh, uh, not only lack methodology, but the uh, methodology is completely absent. They are mainly uh, relying on um, uh, opposition figures, on hearsays from them, uh, and we all know that these opposition figures, uh, they have an interest in uh, demonizing the Syrian government, therefore they are not credible source uh, for, uh, to build a report that can condemn the Syrian government. Uh, in the last uh, six years, this uh, uh, opposition figures, they made millions of dollars uh, uh, as a living by just being in opposition uh, by Qatar, by Saudi Arabia and other wealthy countries. So uh, anything that these people say is uh, not credible and we cannot build uh, an objective report, uh, especially when it comes to human rights organizations such as the Amnesty International. In my opinion, this is the second most dangerous report after uh, and the second attempt to legitimize the international intervention in Syria after the uh, uh, chemical attack in eastern Ghouta, uh, which was basically uh, perpetrated by uh, the rebels themselves, and uh, the Sharingas came uh, from Libya to Turkey and from Turkey to, uh, uh, to eastern Ghouta in order to trigger an, inter an, an American intervention back in 2013, and this was revealed by the famous uh, uh, investigative journalist Samer Hirsch. Uh, however, at the moment, and unfortunately, like Amnesty International is supposedly uh, supposed to be a respectful human rights organization that monitors the uh, human rights abuses around the world, and most importantly, they should build their reports based on facts, not on hearsays. For example, if uh, uh, today if I say uh, th there is a certain group somewhere in Syria which is committing genocide, you can't build 
a, a credible report on what I am saying because uh, I am sitting in Germany the same way uh, this uh, uh, opposition figures are sitting in Turkey and they are not even close to Setnaya and uh, uh, the, in my opinion the only way possible to uh, investigate this so that the Amnesty International should have people to go to Setnaya prison before the war the Syrian government allowed uh, many uh, European and Western uh, human rights organizations to go to uh, the Syrian uh, prisons uh, we all know that the Syrian prisons are not perfect uh, but this story is very uh, 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 it's a fairy tale it, it, from the title to its uh, all the paragraphs, and it's trying to uh, give uh, uh, legitimacy uh, to any political power interested to intervene in Syria militarily, politically, in order to empower the uh, opposition of uh, President Bashar Assad. Uh, uh, who uh, are basically the Islamists. The second uh, thing for, uh, in this report is, for example, the uh, amnesty says between five to 13,000 people being executed. Uh, but none of these uh, allegedly executed people were documented in lists or in similar exhibits. Uh, they're just, uh, okay, there are five to 13,000 uh, people dead. So, okay, what's your proof? I mean, uh, what are the names of these people who died? Uh, what are their backgrounds? Who are they? Were they Syrians? Were they uh, foreigners? Because we, we all know that in Syria nowadays we have uh, tens of thousands of foreign fighters. Uh, and uh, are these people all Syrians or they are from different nationalities? There is no details in this. The second thing is, uh, also the third thing, they only provide 95 names of those who were allegedly executed, that makes only 1 or 2% uh, of the uh, report central claim of five to 13,000 executed. So the gap is very huge. It's, I, sorry, I can't trust such a report just because the Amnesty International said so, because uh, the previous uh, experiences with uh, the Amnesty International were not plausible. I mean, uh, in uh, in back in 2011, they published a famous report uh, in which they said they have a proof that the Syrian government executed a Syrian lady called Zainab al-Husni. Uh, they uh, decapitated her, they uh, removed the skin, and uh, they raped her and everything. And then after two days, she appeared on TV and she was um, alive and uh, in well form. But the Amnesty didn't remove this, uh, uh, this report from their website and they didn't even apologize for that. So how could I uh, believe in Amnesty International, which is promoting fake news uh, regarding Syria, not only about Syria, but also in other places such as Libya. Also, they, uh, in, in 2011, they give the legitimacy for the Americans and the others to bomb Libya by saying uh, uh, Muammar Gaddafi, Gaddafi uh, doesn't have fighters be, uh, behind him. He is hiring mercenaries from Africa. And then uh, a lot of atrocities happened against the black Libyans the, uh, uh, in, in Libya. They executed them. They imprisoned them uh, because of this fake news. Then appeared that these people are basically Libyans because in Libya you have also black Libyans. But the Amnesty International at that time, they, uh, they said Gaddafi is using these mercenaries. So uh, they are blood in the hands of the Amnesty International, for example, in Libya, now also in Syria. Uh, unfortunately, I mean, we need a credible 
source to um, and follow these atrocities because uh, I'm myself doing research and at the moment I don't have these sources uh, because these famous uh, so-called NGOs, they're all following the mainstream narratives, they're all promoting for uh, regime change uh, in Syria, in Libya, and elsewhere. So uh, I, I'm not taking uh, what they say seriously, and I will try to debunk uh, this current report and the, and the next reports by the Amnesty International. Yeah, I, th- I think what Amnesty is doing is um, it's, they're selling... They're selling uh, information or they're selling uh, a narrative uh, on the basis of their brand, which a lot of people in the West will perceive as a trusted brand. In other words, you know, what, Amnesty International has kind of got this saintly reputation because they have people out on the streets. I don't know about Germany, but if you go to London, they've got their people out there uh, raising money for the charity at every uh, tube stop. When you come out of the train, they're waiting there with a clipboard to take your bank details so you can pay five, you know, $5.99 a month, and then you feel better about yourself that you're doing something for the world. Same as Human Rights Watch. But Amnesty is very aggressive in their fundraising, and they are a business. You know, this – and I, I – I did a report uh, a year ago called Smart Power, an introduction to smart power in the human rights industrial complex, and it got a lot of traction. I think it, it, it did resonate with a lot of people because they realized that this is a business. And so Amnesty, by putting out this report and other reports like it, um, they're not journalists, okay? And as you pointed out, they have no methodology uh, in this report. But what they're doing uh, by putting out th- – this helps their fundraising. This helps uh, their donors to see that they're active in uh, championing the uh, the victims of the evil regime in Syria. But their agenda, ha- their narrative happens to be identical, identical to what the U.S. State Department is putting out in terms of statements and information. In fact, the, our U.N. ambassador, Samantha Power or John Kerry, or other State Department people will routinely cite Amnesty International or Human Rights Watch reports or tweets or something like this. Senators and Marco Rubio will do the same about hospitals in Aleppo. They'll cite this as information. They'll cite it as actual fact when, in fact, it's fake news. This is this is uh, what you said is exactly true. And uh, uh, here in Germany, uh, you, you can find the uh, so-called volunteers of the Amnesty International also in the train stations, in the uh, in the airports. They are trying to raise awareness about uh, the human rights uh, situation in uh, different places around the world. And they are they they succeeded actually to create uh, a brand for them. Uh, so nowadays, if the Amnesty International says uh, the elephants are flying uh, uh, somewhere in the world uh, so that the people believe it. Uh, uh, nobody wants to investigate. Nobody wants to do uh, double check. And this is uh, disastrous because uh, how many times these organizations and the governments behind it uh, will succeed to promote for their wars uh, based on lies? I mean, uh, uh, in the recent history, w- w- there are plenty of uh, examples that uh, the governments and these organizations lied and it resulted to um, mass murder, into regime change, into chaos in Iraq, in Libya, now in Syria. So uh, also the responsibilities on the people themselves. I mean, uh, the people are indoctrinated in a way that if 
they hear uh, Amnesty International or Human Rights Watch, it's 100% true. No, no, this is not true. Everybody is responsible. Everybody uh, should go to the Internet. Nowadays, it's, all the websites are free. Just double-check the information and check the alternative news sources. How many times the people in the Middle East, in my country and in the neighboring country, how many times our countries should be destroyed so that the people outside this country start to understand that uh, what you said is the soft uh, power uh, represented by the Amnesty and uh, the Human Rights Watch, they are a soft tool to promote the uh, the foreign policies of uh, of the governments. Uh, I will just give you an example. Uh, the Amnesty International is also okay, raising uh, uh, um, it's making fundraising and stuff. But just check the employees. For example, those who are working on the Syrian file are based in Turkey and in Lebanon, and. I know by sure because I have friends uh, uh, who are also from the left, uh, um, from the left of from the liberals, uh, based in uh, Lebanon and Turkey, and they're working in these organizations, and their salaries is uh, mind blowing. Uh, at a time when I was working in Lebanon for uh, $1,200 for uh, 9 to 10 hours per day, they are making easy money, three to $4,000 per month for very basic things. Monitor Facebook, monitor Twitter. They are getting their information from social media, from the uh, pages and the, and the Twitter accounts of, the, uh, uh, of these uh, so-called activists and eyewitnesses. I mean, come on, not only the Amnesty International, they are huge organizations nowadays who have a, a grand reputation around the world. They are collecting their information on Syria, about Syria, from, from Twitter accounts. And this is absurd because they don't want to come to Syria. They don't want to check. Uh, a lot of people, a lot of, uh, many of these organizations say, they claim that they're not able to bring the visa. This is absolutely untrue. Because uh, even the most brutal anti-Syria uh, um, media outlets uh, been granted visas to Syria. But CNN uh, by Dirish Spiegel, by the Channel 4 of, uh, of, uh, of Britain, many anti-Syria uh, uh, media outlets from the mainstream media, they had the access to Syria. I will just give you an example of a Swedish uh, uh, journalist, she had an access to Syria and uh, she is right, she is saying something to the Syrian uh, people, to the Syrian officials when she interviews them and then when she is on Twitter she is writing in a Swedish uh, telling that there is a genocide going on in, uh, in Aleppo and I was just checking her account and it's easy nowadays to translate the tweets from uh, any language to, to English. And I was shocked because the same day I heard, um, uh, saying that from Damascus that uh, the liberation of Aleppo is uh, something good. But on the other hand, she's writing that there is a genocide going on in, in Syria. So there is a problem of trust with, uh, between us as a people of Syria and also this uh, uh, mainstream media journalist. So if our government... Uh, doesn't grant a visa to them, they have uh, an excuse for that. I mean, how come after six years of somebody uh, sitting behind his laptop, he or she, and writing all these false narratives about Syria, how, how could they expect that any government could grant a visa 
for them. Uh, while Syria is uh, experiencing one of the most brutal wars in the recent uh, mankind history, we are living an exist in uh, we are experiencing an existential war. It's not uh, unethical if we. Uh, if the Syrian government doesn't grant a visa. But despite all this, they are still coming to Syria. Uh, uh, the borders with Turkey is open. They are able to sneak and they, to cover whatever they want. And if they want to come legally, they have to wait two or three weeks to get the visa. It's not easy to give everybody uh, a visa to Syria. So they're, they're, they're coming. If they want to come to Syria... It's, uh, they are most welcome to see from, with their own eyes and to speak with the people and to understand the suffering of the Syrian people. Nowadays, the Syrians need security. Uh, Syrians need uh, uh, water, electricity, food, fuel. This is the those are the basic needs for the Syrian people to survive and not the fake democracy. Just imagine that these liberals are talking about democracy and human rights while the Syrian people are looking for bread. This is absurd. Uh, uh, democracy doesn't uh, fill your stomach. It's the bread that fills your stomach. And then it's the medicine that treats you if you are sick, not democracy and human rights. Democracy and human rights comes later when we have security, when we have stability, when we have uh, uh, democratic values. This is very important. I mean, uh, uh, people think that um, democracy will work anywhere in the world. No. We are we are different people. We have different mentality. Uh, this liberal democracy doesn't work in Syria, and we have to find our own democracy uh, to to make the ideal uh, political system in Syria, and not to import it from the Western governments. They tried it in in Iraq. Look what happened. There are three uh, uh, states now: Sunnis, Shiites, and the Kurds. Uh, in Libya, they have three governments and ISIS, uh, uh, whenever, wherever they uh, uh, um, imposed their own way, it, it failed. It, it, it doesn't work. We, we are different people and we have different uh, way of life and their pattern doesn't work in Syria. No, and just to back up uh, what you were saying about, you know, granting visas to Western reporters is a really important point. You know, we we actually have a, a film posted on our website right now uh, called, uh, for the Sunday screening. It's called uh, Manufacturing Dissent. And this is a film, yes. I think it was uh, cut in 2013 by Lizzie Phelan, who now reports uh, for RT. And it really, it gives the full backing to the statement you made. You know, why would you grant a visa to a news organization like someone, for instance, like the BBC or a news organization that had uh, shown video to Western audiences of big demonstrations or rallies saying that it was anti-government when in fact it was pro-government and all they did was change the heading on the bottom of the lower third of the screen. And, and so to totally mischaracterize what the public mood is, that level of propaganda, why would the Syrian government grant visas for any of these news organizations that are undermining their national security? Or their, and this, Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, and despite this and the absolute truth that you said, the, there are still BBC reporters working in Syria, there are still Western mainstream media journalists coming to Syria, and when they go to the streets, for example, one of the videos is posted on, on social media, just check how the people in Damascus reacted uh, to a journalist from the BBC. And she, when she asked them, what do you think about 
uh, President Bashar Assad and, and the, the, the Syrian guy asked him, and from which television are you? And she said, from the BBC. And everybody get panicked, you know? And they say, no, we don't want to speak to the BBC. And she says, why? Because you're lying. <laughs> we are living here in Syria, and you're saying something happening in my street. And I'm living here, I'm watching in my own eyes, and I know you're lying. Uh, actually, uh, it was in 2012, I was in Aleppo, and uh, there was uh, this uh, rev uh, so-called revolution, uh, Facebook and uh, social media pages, trying to uh, encourage the Aleppis, the, the people in Aleppo, to protest against the government. We all know that the Aleppis didn't uh, rise against the government. And they organized something called the Aleppo Volcano. <laughs> it was on it was on Thursday. I remember that day, and I went uh, to the place where uh, they are supposed uh, to uh, protest against the government. And then, uh, yeah, I saw fifty people maximum protesting against the Syrian government, and uh, they are cursing uh, the shop owners because we know Aleppo is uh, uh, was actually a business a business city, and everybody works in merch in in business. So they are attacking the merchants, the businessmen in in the areas, cursing them, telling them, shame on you, you have to close the shops and and uh, join us in the revolution. 50 people want uh, 5 million people to join them in, in a revolution. And then the shop owners went out from the shops and they kick uh, and they hit these people, these 50 people in the street. So just go away, we want to live our lives, you know. And then at that time there was uh, Arwa Damon in uh, the CNN reporter, uh, she was in uh, Damascus reporting about Aleppo and yeah. uh, and, she, and she she called me uh, to Aleppo uh, asking me about what happened uh, actually in this so-called volcano and I told her exactly what I saw there and then at night when I went to the CNN website, uh, I have read that Arwa Damon saying that the Shabihas, the, uh, the militias of the Assad government, uh, attacked and uh, beat the peaceful protesters in, uh, uh, in the area that they were, they were protesting. I mean, uh, and they have no, no single video that can document this or single picture for that, you know. And so everybody, they, so, so they, called, they, they, they called the shopkeepers militia. Militias, yes. Did, she, did Arwa Damon the use the term Shabiha? Yes, she called them Shabihas. She, you know what? I, th that's a derogatory term um, that's kind of targeting uh, Alawites as well. Or yes. and I, and there's another journalist called Max Blumenthal who mm -hmm. uh, a few years ago he he changed his mind uh, recently about Syria, but he was bashing uh, the Syrian government for years, and he used the term Shabiha. Uh, it was a, a really derogatory, almost like this is the term that ISIS uses, or this yes. is what you hear Arar Sham uses. And I heard this this so-called respected journalist Max Blumenthal using this really disgusting insult. And so, and you know, if if somebody is accused of being a shabiha in Syria, the anti-government, uh, these militants, they might behead you. Just if if somebody yeah. says this guy is a shabiha. So you are encouraging others to kill the people who are who try to protect their own shops by calling them shabihas. If look, if you and I had a business, okay, and and there's the protesters were basically destroying our livelihood, um, you just might go and kick them. I mean, this is a normal reaction uh, for anybody that's trying to make a living, right? 
And uh, so, but then CNN would film that and, and characterize it as something completely different to say that it was government forces or forces loyal to the government. I hear that all the time. They describe the Syrian army as forces loyal to the government. They're the army. That's the country. That's the Syria's national defense. They're, of course, they're loyal to the government. You know, they're loyal to the state. They're loyal to the state, not the government. And yes. so this is this is the very subtle art, uh, the black arts of propaganda uh, in the West. It's done with language, and it's very very subtle. Uh, and they sorry. are smart. They are smart in this. I mean, uh, those people who attacked these protesters were wearing civil, you know, just like me and you. They were not wearing any military uniform. So uh, they created this concept that there are, there is uh, a power, a shadow power, shadow forces behind President Bashar Assad, those Shabihas, uh, so-called Shabihas. They are always in civil uniform, but they have guns, they have stick, and they kill people. You know, so uh, if you see any any civilian in Syria trying to defend his own shop by his stick and automatically you cut as a Shabiha because the media indoctrinated the people in a way that anyone who uh, defends himself and his business and his shop is a Shabiha. And that's how they uh, uh, give legitimacy for these radicals later on who occupied Aleppo to uh, kidnap hundreds of businessmen in Aleppo, hundreds of them, to steal their uh, manufacturers and their shops. Because uh, uh, if, if the media was portraying them as Shabihas and loyal to the government, who, but these people were basically trying to defend themselves. However, in the future, after one or two years of indoctrination, and when Aleppo was occupied by Al-Qaeda, Al-Qaeda people came to take revenge. And they targeted these people who were trying to defend their own businesses. Now, Aleppo had more than 1,100 factories, uh, heavy factories, high-tech factories, uh, and they stole around 1,050 factories from Aleppo. They just dismantled these factories and sent them to Turkey. Uh, the, the factories that they couldn't... Uh, uh, um, dismantle they sell steel and uh, as a steel you know by kilograms they just made millions of dollars from this uh, so-called revolution just by being uh, 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 on the opposition side it became business people made money people uh, changed their status it was an opportunity for them to make all this money uh, it, it's it, turkey was pouring pouring all these militants but saudi arabia and qatar were sending all this money i mean look at these journalists in syria who work with the uh, on the revolution side they have all these sophisticated cameras that can capture i don't know how many yeah, <laughs> thousands yeah. of dollars and i am myself working in this business for uh, now five years and then i need the donation from my followers to buy a camera you know just just think about it that yeah. people who have an education uh, who are in this business for a long time and they're not able to make a living but on the other on the other side just people who have n no background in journalism nothing just hatred against the government or against certain sect in syria they, they suddenly became millionaires and they have all these 
um, beautiful cars and uh, their um, uh, latest mobiles and the cameras. You know, this is something we also need to study. How did these people bring all this money? How come the generals of the Free Syrian Army have the latest uh, iPhones all the time? I met the Free Syrian Army generals in uh, last year in Zurich. Uh, we had a meeting between pro and anti-government, uh, um, uh, let's say, experts. And there were at least uh, six to seven uh, generals from the Free Syrian Army. And uh, I was just checking their dress and their uh, um, the, the technologies that they are using. I mean, he, he is a 5,000 euro man walking, you know, and yeah. uh, who g give them this money, you know? And uh, Israel, I mean, those who are making a revolution should put the interest of the people uh, in the first place and work with them underground. But these people sit in Turkey, they just tweet, they just send Facebook posts, and then they send uh, poor people by uh, telling them that go and kill the Shabihas in Syria. They are kids, 15, 16, 14 years old, dying in Syria. For what reason? This is, those are the people sending them to death uh, well, from I the refugee camps. Yeah, sorry to interrupt, but yeah, I think I think the, re the the this is the culmination of of five or six years of fake news generated by the West, mainly by the Western mainstream media, but also by the Gulf the Gulf state media, uh, which I'll include leading Al Jazeera as part of the fake news empire um, and Al Arabiya and some others, right? But this is the culmination of it. It's the indoctrination of uh, millions of people over a five-year period uh, to have a false impression of the reality or facts on the ground. And and what's amazing is this has been a real, this has been very damaging to the whole profession of journalism, in in my opinion. I mean, we talk about this Amnesty International report, you know, 13,000 people hang themselves in the Syrian prison. I mean, that's an average of seven people being hanged, or no, being hanged, not hang themselves, being hanged seven people a day for five straight years. I mean, it's ridiculous. It's the, it would be an industrial assembly line of executions. But yet, and there's no, uh, it's all done on, on hearsay. And they estimated the numbers uh, based on the reports, you know, like multiplying, multiplying the reports or whatever. It's just complete fabrications, basically. And so this is what the public outrage is based on. Um, the public outrage is based on this sort of fake news or fake reporting, uh, which is absolutely uh, has no representation uh, of reality whatsoever. And the, the same thing with many, many of, of these other reports. And one of the things that they rely upon is the, the journalists in, in, in the West have basically thrown away uh, any objectivity. Uh, and they're siding with activists. And they themselves are becoming activists. So the journalists have become activists. And so, and we have CNN's anchor, Kate Baldwin, crying on the air, getting all emotional about Omran, the little dusty boy, uh, in the famous photograph. And so she's getting emotional. So the emotion takes over from the imperial, empirical evidence. And so there's no, there's no desire for uh, any actual evidence or anyone questioning what these media outlets are getting in terms of uh, 
reports from the White Helmets or Aleppo Media Center. I'm sure you've seen those two media sources. They're supplying everything for the BBC, for The Guardian, for The New York Times, for CNN, for NBC. They're, all, they're getting everything from Aleppo Media Center and the White Helmets. And so Western journalists have thrown away uh, the, the empirical side of the job and embraced this emotional uh, narrative, which is activists' uh, journalism or activism journalism. This is the new trend, and this is all these so-called activists in Syria, Well, most of whom are in Turkey, as you pointed out. And this is the problem with this activist journalist, is it just throws away uh, any uh, dis- skepticism of the, the source material they're getting from people like the White Helmets, especially Aleppo Media Center. I mean, that is funded by the French Foreign Ministry. Uh, but the White Helmets are funded by USAID, the U.S. State Department, the British Foreign Office, and a number of European countries, Qatar. Uh, and then they're, they're also shaking down you know, stupid people in the public to donate money to them. They've raised millions of dollars just from people who don't know what the White Helmets are. And personally, they should be. Everyone should be refunded anything they've given to the White Helmets. They should be forced to return those donations because they're perpetrating a fraud, in my opinion, because they're posing as a charity or uh, some sort of not-for-profit. They're founded by a British military intelligence officer, and not just any British military intelligence officer. The top British military intelligence officer, James Le Miserier graduate of Sandhurst, worked in Kosovo. And if you look at Kosovo, it's an identical operation is what they've done in Syria. Um, it, it, structurally, it's almost identical. What they, what they did in Kosovo, they're attempting to do in Syria. It's the same exact scam, the same exact fraud, and the same exact uh, backing of, of jihadis and calling them rebels uh, in order to break up a state. It's exa- uh-huh. And so you see the same people behind both Kosovo and Syria. And so it's, it's to me, unbelievable. Um, you know, where did the, no- the White Helmets say they, they rescued 82,000 people? So there's no, na- where are the names? Who are these people? It's the same as Sadanaya Prison with 13,000 yeah. hanged. No yeah. names, yeah. nothing, no data, no, no evidence. Nowadays, unfortunately, the, uh, it seems there is no need for evidence. It's just uh, uh, hearsays, and if you uh, question these uh, narratives and these numbers, you are either a conspiracy theorist or uh, an Assad apologist. And nobody, uh, I mean, if, if you checked my uh, latest debate with uh, on RT, it was like the other guest is trying to uh, categorize me as an Assad apologist, and I'm myself an Syrian from Aleppo, I've seen things in my own eyes, I've, I've suffered uh, from this uh, revolution, we lost everything from our business, from our shop, and uh, my brother was kid- kidnapped by the moderate rebels, so-called moderate rebels, and we know how much uh, we paid uh, to them in to free him, otherwise they would behead him uh, because he's a Christian. So we know all these facts, but then if you speak loud, you are suddenly an Assad apologist because uh, they, there is an agenda and they are desperately trying to, pro- to achieve this agenda. And they hit themselves into a solid rock in, in Syria. It was the Syrian army and uh, the Russian uh, ally Hezbollah, Iran, 
the Allies were very uh, helpful, and they, in my opinion, they didn't expect that uh, the Syrian government would resist this uh, 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 this global terrorism and the Allies uh, to stand next to the Syrian government all this time. Uh, it uh, started from 2012, and now we are in 2017, almost five years. The Allies are fighting with the Syrian government. Uh, uh, martyrs on the Syrian soil. So uh, the 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 anti-regime camp will do anything, even if it is unethical, if it even if it is a lie, even if it is a fake news, in order to overthrow the government of Bashar Assad. If President Bashar Assad succeeded to stay in power, and I believe he will stay in power, uh, the the area, the the Middle East, uh, uh, is not big enough. To uh, for Assad, Erdogan, uh, Al Saud, and uh, uh, Ben Jassim of Qatar to stay in power. Uh, if President Assad stays in power, I believe uh, there will be an earthquake in in Saudi Arabia, and there will be an earthquake in Qatar very soon, sooner or later. Maybe it starts from Bahrain. I'm not sure, but uh, the destabilization will hit. Saudi Arabia, if Assad remains in power, and this will happen naturally, uh, not because the Syrians have the means. We don't have the means to export anything. Uh, we don't have the means nowadays to reconstruct our country. So uh, I, I'm just saying that uh, it's just uh, uh, a nature. If uh, if uh, uh, Assad stays in power and he blocks uh, the access of Turkey to send its products to the Gulf. And if Assad stays in power and the Qataris uh, uh, are not able to uh, extend their gas pipeline to uh, to uh, through Syria to Turkey to uh, to to Europe, and at the same thing goes for Saudi Arabia, that means they, not only their project is failed, but also their uh, the pillars of their power will crumble uh, sooner or later, and we will see uh, a new Middle East. But in our own standards, the way that we want to live in, in the Middle East, uh, the multicultural uh, Syria, uh, the secular Syria, uh, a Syria that exports science and manufacturers and uh, business uh, to the world, and not the Syria that now everybody is afraid of. Nowadays in Germany, if you tell anybody you're from Syria, uh, they just take five seconds to uh, to calculate themselves. Should they continue in this talk or not? Because uh, these uh, radicals, uh, radical Syrians in Germany, they destroyed our reputation. Uh, everybody now is linking between terrorism and Syria. And, mm. and, and unfortunately, this terrorism was exported to Syria. It wasn't produced in Syria. It was exported by the Wahhabi ideology. And what proves this point that the vast majority of the senior uh, uh, leaders of the uh, Salafi terrorist armed groups in Syria are not Syrians. They they sent them from Chechnya, from Saudi Arabia. The the guy who was leading the uh, the Aleppo. Um, the Aleppo war on the opposition side was a Saudi guy. He was the Sheikh Mohaisni. And the the uh, um, the Americans and the Europeans and the Gulf countries were trying to, to give an impression that this is a, a war for liberation. 
to uh, to um, destroy the besiege on uh, by the government forces on eastern Aleppo, the government who is uh, uh, st- starving its own people. This is the narrative that they uh, promoted in the media, and not saying that the uh, the strong men of uh, the the uh, uh, of uh, the opposition forces from from the Uyghurs from east uh, from west of China. They were leading the operations in, uh, in from the suburbs of Aleppo, and the leader of this uh, uh, operation was Saudi guy. They, they 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 are not even Syrians, so uh, don't expect the Aleppo people or any other uh, uh, Syrian in from the different cities to support these guys. Uh, I'm sure that the Syrian people want a better political system and they want uh, uh, more political freedoms in Syria, but they will not sacrifice their security, their uh, f- uh, free health care, their free education and the stability and the prosperity and uh, the social freedoms in exchange to uh, a fake political freedoms, which is basically uh, an Islamist uh, theocracy uh, by these uh, uh, foreign radicals. So, so, you know, that's what I see happening and when you bring this back to the media coverage with all these uh, so-called activists, you know, the last, my last message from Aleppo, you know, Aleppo genocide and all this. What, what, what they're advocating and what the, what the Western media are advocating for by taking that side, uh, unquestionably taking that side, they're advocating for anarchy, basically. And what, because it really comes down to, at the end of the day, when you get past the politics, when you get past all the rhetoric, uh, it comes down to the rule of law. Do you, do, do you want to live, you know, whether you agree with the political uh, uh, party in power, and we have the same issue right now in the United States, okay, exactly the same, where half the country doesn't like the uh, the, the president and the ruling party now. And it was the same before, by the way, before during Obama, it was exactly the same. It's just more visible now. But so what, what are they advocating for? Burning down buildings, uh, yeah. looting shops, uh, attacking people in the streets, violence. And you look at Syria. What is what is the Western media advocating for? Burning down buildings, shooting police, killing Shabiha and soldiers, uh, basically anarchy. OK, the people of Syria, however, uh, they want stability. They want security. They want to get on and, and have normal lives. OK, that you need a state to do that. You need laws to do that. And having warlords taking over cantons and running Sharia courts in the street and chopping people's hands off is not stability. That's not what the, that's not the the rule of law that I think the people of Syria want. That's an imp- yes. what you're saying is that's an imported uh, uh, toxic um, anarchy. It's basically warlordism or anarchy. That's what CNN is a- has been advocating for quietly for the last five years. That's what the BBC have been pushing mm-hmm. for the last five years. They've been against the government, against the rule of law, against stability, and pro anarchy, pro violence, pro Sharia. Uh, violent terrorism. That's who, really yes. who they've been backing. If you really strip and, it down and look at it. And even when the CNN reporter entered to East Aleppo one year ago, she was forced to wear a hijab on her head, a scarf on her head. So oh, that was Clarissa Ward. Yeah, Clarissa yes. Ward. Yeah. yeah. How, how 
would they how could they convince the public opinion that these people are fighting for freedom for for the freedom of the Syrian people and they impose uh, a hijab on her uh, i remember uh, aleppo is my city and i lived there for a long time and uh, my friend we we were living a moderate life i'm not talking now as a christian Christian, uh, as a, uh, with Muslims, uh, we were working in an industrial city with Muslims, and I know that these people, they have fun, they drink alcohol, they go partying, and everything, you know? Uh, it's not that how, how the media also tries to portray that they are, the Muslims are, they don't eat this, and they don't drink that. No, we were living a moderate life in Aleppo. And uh, uh, the certain areas, especially from Salah din and Mashhad, and very uh, certain places that we were not even able to go there before the war because these places were mostly uh, conservatives and from there started the protest no one no one want to check the background of the people who protested and what are their demands and why are they uh, shouting allahu akbar and why are they uh, calling for sharia laws and why are they uh, lynching people in the streets because somebody uh, didn't go to prayer on the Friday, before the war, if you are not going uh, to the prayer, who cares? And who, who will punish you? You know, this is something between you and God. But now, nowadays, there are people on, on the ground. It's just like Saudi Arabia. People uh, moving in the streets, uh, watching uh, the shop owners if they are praying or not. If it's on Friday, you're not, you're not in the mosque. They will put you in the street and lynch you. The people will not accept that. The Syrians would never, ever uh, be uh, Wahhabis. Uh, the problem is, nowadays, the representative of the Sunni world is in the hands of Saudi Arabia and Turkey. This is the major problem, in my opinion. Uh, and they are not even, uh, mm, let's say, they don't belong to the traditional school of Sunnism. Saudi Arabia is a Wahhabi country, and Erdogan and Qatar are Muslim Brotherhood, they have different interpretations of Islam, uh, but uh, they have the petrodollar, and they have the power, and they have the mosques, and they have all these clerics. They, Saudi Arabia is able to export its ideology by billions of dollars, and it's able to send tens and hundreds of clerics around the world to teach its version of Islam. In Syria, this will not work. Temporarily, there are many troubles in many areas, and, and believe me, many people are forced to live with these people and do what they, they are doing to go to prayer by force, and because his, his house is, is, is in, in the place where Al-Qaeda is occupying. Yeah. He, he would either go and live in the street, or he should just continue his life with them. But when the time comes, I'm one. 100% sure of this. When the time comes and when the Syrian army uh, liberates uh, any area in Syria, you will see hundreds of people in the street, just like when you see people in the streets when they uh, liberated Aleppo, a home city, uh, uh, many towns in, in Dara and elsewhere. And when Raqqa is liberated, you will see also thousands of people in the streets celebrating this. So, so uh, Because they are held human shield by yeah, the, and and that the human shield aspect was not uh, was not covered by Amnesty International. Apparently, that's not a violation of uh, 
of the people in eastern Aleppo who were held as human shield essentially for five years, um, that uh, apparently Human Rights Watch and Amnesty don't class that as uh, any 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 human rights violation, I guess. If you're held hostage or you're kidnapped or you're used as a human shield uh, in a, uh, a war, that's not a violation of your human rights, according to Amnesty International and uh, Human Rights Watch. The only It's report- worse than that. Yeah, go ahead. It's even worse. It's even worse than what you said. If the people, when the people of Eastern Aleppo tried to escape to the western side, they received bullets from their, uh, uh, from the behind, from their backs, while they were trying to escape. And there were tens of people on the streets. They were dead on the ground while they were trying to go to the government-held areas. And uh, uh, of course. Uh, what a coincidence, you know, then the white helmet comes and they uh, do a recording of this. Look how the government is killing the people. Come on. The, the bullets are from their from their back. They say it's a, it's a mortar. It's a shelling. If it's a shelling, you will see uh, uh, heads and uh, um, hands in the streets, not the full body, which has uh, a bullet on his. They killed these people uh, who were using them in uh, human shield and then blamed the government. It's worse than just uh, yeah, and, uh, and the white helmets silent. and the white helmets put that out on Twitter during yes. when Aleppo was being liberated. They put that. I know. I know the photograph you're talking about. They put it out on Twitter and they said that this is the after a Russian or uh, a government strike, or whatever. And then so that was passed over to the United Nations and to the U.S. political people, who then took that and said, oh, my God, look at the, the atrocities. And then the media in the U.S. said, it's a meltdown of humanity, was the, yes. the word they used, a meltdown. Yes. It's genocide in Aleppo. I mean, you can't get any worse in terms of, of, of fraud, really, than, than what we saw in December. It was yes. breathtaking. It really was. They, they even created new terminologies. The Aleppo people being genocided. This is a new term in the media. They were genocided, you know. They made it a verb now. It, the people were genocided and uh, all these last messages, however, all these people who sent the last messages from Aleppo, suddenly they were all out of Aleppo. They went out from Aleppo. They were in a well form. Nobody harmed them. Nobody killed them. Nobody genocided them. Now they're all living in Turkey. And I'm sure President Erdogan will host another fake Bana uh, activist to his uh, place very soon. Oh, my God. Yeah. Va- ba- Bana. <laughs> don't, ba- did, did you know? Kav- she, she, she blocked us on Twitter, Kavork. Um, she blocked me, too. <laughs> <laughs> I, got, I got blocked by a seven-year-old. That's, that's pretty amazing. Yeah. You know? but, when uh, she was interviewed last week by uh, Turkish media, I think it was uh, CNN uh, Turkey. I don't know. Uh, the the uh, the host asked her, uh, so uh, do you like Turkey? She said yes. And uh, do you like the food here? She said yes. And then what kind of food do you like uh, here in uh, Turkey? She says, uh, save the children of Syria. <laughs> <laughs> she, she doesn't even speak English. It's uh, uh, it's her mother using her child to send tweets and i'm sure that there are also other people behind seven years old child within one month she has a twitter verification uh, which in in eastern aleppo and in whole aleppo there was no internet i mean come on and the people buy it 
and the yeah. people buy it. Four hundred thousand followers. <laughs> and at Mr. Alhamdo, that was another uh, activist. He was uh, supposedly a mm. teacher. And he was very, he, he seemed to be managing uh, some of uh, Banna's media um, uh, imager, imagery. But he was uh, one of the last, he was, Al Jazeera had him on speed dial. He was uh, the last yeah. guy in Aleppo. This is my last message. Oh my God, the, the regime is closing in and they're shooting people in the street and uh, etc. And then Bilal Abdul Karim, this was another exactly. one. This is an American <laughs> journalist. And so this is my last message. And so I think they had a satellite uh, phone or a satellite uplink with uh, a, a good enough connection to stream video. Um, certainly, you know, and that's not cheap, that sort of equipment. That's in the thousands of dollars, you know, to have a, a system like that, like a briefcase satellite, for instance, that you could do mobile transmissions, which you can do on the road. Um, but and this is probably if Banna was in uh, Aleppo at all in her parents were using her twitter account uh more than likely they had a satellite phone or a satellite link um yeah. and so this is what the rebels use um and it's expensive like you said so, so who's paying for it it's you know this isn't cheap stuff but yeah so we this onslaught now it's over now aleppo is uh, are residents returning to East Aleppo? What have you been hearing? How's the progress going in terms of, um, I know it's going to be a long rebuilding process. Uh, I, I know that's going to take years. But how, how, what are you hearing right now in, along those lines? Uh, there are many people returning to Aleppo, uh, including my parents. They will go and check their um, properties. Uh, however, the um, the situation is very difficult, on, uh, especially uh, the water and electricity, because the water supply lines are in the hands of ISIS, uh, and uh, the Syrian army is at this moment is trying to advance into the areas on the uh, hands of ISIS, and they just closed the water on the entire city for in the last three weeks so the situation is very difficult but the people are optimistic because uh, this is the city that they uh, grown in and they have no other nation in the world you know especially uh, those who are displaced inside uh, Syria Aleppis around 2 million Aleppis now in Latakia and Tartus, they're going back to check their factories and the possibilities to rebuild, the government is promising the, promising help but in my opinion, the government is uh, also need the support from uh, its allies. Uh, this is a very difficult situation that we don't want to take money from the uh, World Bank or the IMF uh, because you, you know the stories behind this uh, yeah. funds from these international banks. At the same time, we want to preserve uh, the our um, let's say sovereignty. I mean, we want to make our own decisions, and this is very difficult duty. And it needs time, but it needs also uh, a liberation of uh, Idlib and also Raqqa. Uh, you can't just rebuild uh, Aleppo while uh, you have uh, maybe twenty to 30,000 fighters on your borders in Idlib. You know what I mean? If yeah. one day Erdogan turned against uh, uh, Russia again, and I'm sure he will, uh, he can send and all these uh, uh, suicide bombers again to Aleppo. So, yeah. uh, on the first level, we need a political settlement between the regional powers. Uh, we can include Turkey, but we should be uh, cautious from Erdogan. Uh, at, at the same time, uh, 
the people need uh, to re- need to relief you know they need the basic needs so the western government should stop sanctioning the people stop sanctioning the fuel sector and also the medicine sector at least these two sectors let them sanction the 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 syrian officials they are not they, they will not be harmed you know they they don't have money in the in, in geneva or in the united states but by imposing sanctions on the entire sector you are just harming the syrian people so in my opinion, uh, the next Geneva talks should be focused between the regional powers and the international powers. Uh, between the Syrian government and these powers, it's not between the Syrian government and the opposition. This opposition is an image uh, reflection for the will of uh, the regional powers. You know, uh, They should speak to the master, not to the proxy. And I think this will come sooner or later because whether it's Alush or any other any other guy, one day or another, it's an intelligence game. They can just put an explosive under his uh, car and he's dead, you know. Yeah. And uh, he will be replaced by someone uh, else. So the focus should be between uh, those who have the decision, those who can make decisions between Trump between Putin, between Erdogan, between Al-Saud, between Bashar Assad, between Iran, between these countries. And uh, I'm, uh, I am i can't say I'm optimistic by Trump, but uh, he is still better than uh, Hillary Clinton when it comes to Russian, uh, uh, Russian and American relations. So if uh, both sides toned down the rhetoric and... Uh, they were able to fix the major issues, I think it will have a positive impact on Syria. If the Americans and the Russians agreed, the Turks and uh, the Saudis and the Qataris cannot act alone. Those are instrumental powers. They don't have independent uh, foreign policy. If the Americans told them to stop, they will stop. Yeah. (coughs) Well, yeah, and also... So, you know, I think you're right sooner or later. I mean, what just real quickly, what are your views of, you know, the uh, Astana peace talks over in uh, Kazakhstan over the last couple of weeks? And to see the, uh, you know, a representative from the Free Syrian Army, I don't know who the opposition uh, representatives there. I mean, they did. They were there, and I understand they're kind of going through the motions, as it were. But at the end of the day, I don't think that those people will have a strong seat at the table because of the damage they've done to the country. I don't think they'll get any uh, mass acceptance. Um, but I mean, what what's your view of that? Do you think that was just a? You think this is just a middle stage, uh, and to, just to get that out of the way? Uh, because I mean, do they really have any legitimacy? Uh, the armed opposition. I don't think that the Syrian government is able to make a deal with these uh, certain people who attended in Astana because Alush he represents the uh, not the uh, the Free Syrian Army but Jaish al-Islam, Islam's army, which is directly funded by Saudi Arabia. These people, uh, when they uh, attacked on. Uh, other al Malia area and into other areas, they captured the Alawites, uh, especially the Alawite uh, ladies, women. They put them in cages and they uh, just treated them like animals in the streets. And wow. uh, Muhammad Alush's uh, uh, brother, um, uh, when he was the leader of this uh, group, Zahran Alush, he was uh, he's dead now. Uh, he promised to cleanse, I'm just quoting him, to cleanse Syria from the infidels. 
by infidels he means the the Shiites, the uh, the Christians, the Alawites, the Safawis, and uh, all other sects. You know, uh, so this is a genocidal group directly now supported by Saudi Arabia and praised by uh, the Western governments, but their uh, uh, extent of power is limited to the suburbs of Damascus. Jeshul Islam has no presence in north or east or west uh, Syria, you know. They have very limited access. Maybe they have 5,000 fighters uh, in this area, no more. And uh, if you make a deal with these guys to solve the Syrian crisis, they can solve the crisis in an area maybe uh, 50 or 60 kilometers uh, in Syria. Not uh, How can you make a deal with someone who has no presence in Aleppo, who has no presence in Italy, who has no presence in homes, you know. Mm-hmm. I think uh, Astana talks were uh, on, um, in the media. It was between the Syrian government and uh, uh, Alush, but Alush he represents the interest of Turkey and and Saudi Arabia. So uh, it was basically between Syria and these powers. And in my opinion, uh, maybe in the next Geneva, these people might also attend. Uh, the final stage where, when and where the Syrian conflict will be uh, solved is, uh, will happen between the governments, not the proxies, not Alush, not Jolani, not uh, Muhaisni, not any other uh, tool that these uh, states are trying to use uh, in order to uh, achieve their uh, geopolitical goals in Syria. And, and before we go, I've I've got this clip. I have to play this. Um, at least I'll play part of it. This was a a, a debate you did on air with uh, RT with uh, someone from the Ramadan uh, Foundation in uh, in the UK, and it was about an art installation in Germany. Uh, and so let's just roll this clip real quick, and um, I'll cut in. Uh, note to producer: I'll, I'll cut in uh, when. When I want to sort of back out of it, but listen to this. This is uh, this is Kavork, uh, and I forgot the gentleman's name, but they'll intru- the news presenter will introduce him. Go ahead and roll this monument promoting peace in Syria has been installed in the centre of the German city of Dresden. It's made of three old buses, and it symbolises the barricade in the streets of Syria's Aleppo that were erected to protect people from sniper fire. The artist behind the project says he was inspired by a Reuters news agency photograph that was taken in the city. However, this picture has drawn the attention of critics who pointed out to the flag that's flying above that barricade. One anti-migrant group noted that the flag looked like the former symbol of an Al-Qaeda-linked terror group. They then pointed out that this would mean that it wasn't the civilians, but rather the terrorists that were protecting themselves. The artist behind the installation, who is half Syrian himself and half German, defended his work, saying that it's only aimed at promoting peace and that there is no political message. Right, now, with me now to discuss that, we have Mohammed Shafiq, who's chief executive of the Ramadan Foundation, also Kavok Almasian, who's a political journalist and Middle East expert at the German Centre for Eurasian Studies. Uh, good evening to you both, gentlemen. Thanks very much for coming on. Uh, Mr. Almasian, I hope you can hear me. You. I, I want to come to you first. The artist used one specific photo as a reference point for this. People have noticed detail in it. Is it just that flag that's at issue here? Because presumably any imagery that's supposedly going to draw attention to the plight of people in an active war, someone's going to find meaning in it somewhere. Is it just the flag that's the problem or the entire principle? 
I believe there are two options here. Uh, number one, the uh, the artist is uh, completely ignorant and doesn't have a clue what Ahrab al-Sham is, the Salafi Wahhabi group, and what is fighting for uh, Ahrab al-Sham is fighting for in Syria, or he uh, he simply. Uh, used this uh, installation in order to give a legitimacy to Ahrar al-Sham and to give a voice to this terror group in Germany itself. Actually, I uh, I checked the background of the artist on Facebook and social media, and I found out that uh, uh, when the Syrian and the Russian troops were trying to liberate Aleppo from the uh, Islamist terrorists, uh, he himself posted several pictures on social media, especially the red picture that symbolizes that uh, the Syrian army and the Russian uh, forces are committing massacres in Aleppo, as they claim. However, uh, the reality on the ground was completely different. Therefore, in my opinion, the whole concept of this installation in Germany is uh, controversial, and it gives uh, a cultural uh, legitimacy, cultural uh, cover to a terror group that doesn't even believe in culture and civilization. Mohammed, um, yes, art is meant to provoke. Um, that's the cliche that we hear all the time. But let's be honest, this, is, this could have been more neutral imagery if this was just about drawing attention to the plight of civilians in Aleppo or Syria generally. There's a, quite a politically charged message in these upright buses, isn't there? Well, our colleague in uh, Germany doesn't really want to talk about the massacres that were committed, the innocent people that were lost uh, in Aleppo. And this, uh, uh, this uh, monument is... is is a tribute to those people that all suffered. And whether they were uh, the opposition people, uh, I just, I'm not really interested in the politics. And this is humanity, this is uh, refugees, this is innocent people losing their lives uh, by both sides. And they've paid a very heavy price. And this is to commemorate that. And this is to say that we will never ever forget these people and what they've been through. And this trash talk that we hear uh, from our colleague uh, is just a propaganda uh, and trying to make this into an issue bigger than it actually is. Uh, okay. This is just celebrating, remembering uh, and reaffirming our commitment to protecting innocent life anywhere in the world. Uh, Mr. Amasian, you're shaking your head there. This is... Th uh, this is completely untrue because when Ahrar al-Sham, Free Syrian Army and Al-Nusra Front, which is Al-Qaeda, occupied Aleppo and they besieged the western side of uh, Aleppo, they were even, uh, uh, they, when they besieged it, this is one of the pictures from uh, East Aleppo when they were besieging uh, western Aleppo. And they, it's written that it is not allowed, the same buses that they are trying to symbolize it now in Germany, it's written that it's not allowed for milk, medicine, food, and kid products to uh, to enter into West Aleppo. So if this was a humanitarian case, such a symbols should have been constructed in 2012, 2013 you, you or 2014. Like not apologist. after the liberation you, you of the city like from, this terror, from this terrorist group. You're you, you using propaganda am, to di divert away from the real I issue. Am, I, am, I am simply... Excuse me, I am from Aleppo. Denying the fact I am that so many Aleppo. innocent people have been killed. You you sitting here denying that people are being killed am, I, and that somehow the massacres haven't been committed. I mean, really, really need to wake up. What is your agenda, sir? Excuse me, sir. Excuse me, sir. I'm from Aleppo. And when my parents and my relatives and my friends were starving, they had no food. They had no medicine. They had no water in Aleppo. You and the others 
the so-called humanitarian people were not uttering a word regarding this issue. They were celebrating the occupation of the city by these Islamist groups. If these Islamist groups really care about the humans and the civilians in Aleppo, they wouldn't invade it in the first place, and they wouldn't use these people well, as we, a human we, we shield we, in we, East Aleppo. We, why would they, we, why would we, they invade uh, into, into, we, we into civilian the neighborhoods that, uh, and use them as, as, the as a human okay. shield? Okay, so, you know, uh, Kavork, uh, on behalf of all our listeners and myself and everybody at ACR, thank you very much uh, for, the, for showing that guy up on television because, you know, and I've lived in, you know, Britain for, you know, 20 plus years. I know, I know the type of guy that is, and, uh, you know, he would never step foot in Syria. Or he's not interested, and he's really, he himself is peddling a uh, political agenda. And he says that he doesn't support terrorism, but yet he's still calling these people rebels. And yes. he and he's not giving any uh, attention to the atrocities. They've been shelling randomly targeting civilians for five years in West Aleppo, the, uh, the, ter the terrorists on the east side. And they've been calling them rebels and ignoring the atrocities they've been committing against people in the east and the west. Okay, and this guy says that he's against terrorism. I yeah. personally, I think he's he is he's cheering them on quietly. That's that's my view of it. But very ignorant, and this. But these are the guys that are all over the the BBC for the last five six years, all over CNN. This is the same type of guy, same type of pundit, and uh, they claim to be speaking for the peer people of Syria. I mean, how do you feel about that coming from Aleppo when you when you see someone like that from Manchester or from Yorkshire uh, and spouting off like that? I mean, how do you how, how does that make you feel? <laughs> what it it makes you it makes you so emotional and mad that somebody from uh, London or Manchester trying to lecture you what happened in Aleppo and uh, and who is right and who is wrong while the people uh, uh, I'm not just saying east and west you know in Aleppo there were around eleven thousand deaths. Uh, civilians by the hell cannons, the mortars, and the rockets of uh, uh, of the terrorists, and they are all documented by names uh, in the hospitals of uh, Aleppo, not just fake names that they try to portray. And how this uh, uh, terrorist occupied the city back in June 2012 when they invaded the city from its eastern side and they uh, put uh, their installations, their weaponry and everything, and they used these people as human shields uh, for, for, a, for, for a four or five years. I mean, imagine there are uh, uh, 5,000 5, to 10,000 fighters uh, occupying uh, a neighborhood in London, and then if the government shoots them, it's it's a war crime. I mean, what kind yeah. of hypocrisy is that? And uh, and it, how can you uh, uh, look? The Western governments they don't encourage dialogue. They don't encourage uh, uh, because in in Syria we have a ministry of reconciliation, and if uh, the government uh, was able to talk to them and let them uh, take the arms down, and this is a good thing, you know. If you can negotiate and uh, uh, and convince them to lay down their arms, and uh, so that everybody goes to normal life, this is a good thing. But the Western governments they don't. Yeah. encourage this they were uh, uh, systematically supporting them and telling them that not continue fighting and uh, the government tried to negotiate them many times before the liberation of the city the liberation of the city uh, took six months and uh, and uh, uh, four months of them was uh, basically negotiations the syrian government was trying to convince these militants to go out to idlib and that the city would be liberated without uh, without force 
because it was besieged, but they bet, they betted at the time that this Muhaysini and his Saudi terrorists and the Uyghur terrorists would uh, uh, be able to uh, end the besiege on East Aleppo. So they resisted until the last moment and they, uh, they were defeated. I mean, this is war. What do you expect? It's like uh, uh, you are blaming uh, the, uh, the, 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 co the communists and the Americans for bombing the Nazis and defeat them. And I always say that uh, those people are worse than the Nazis. If the Nazis were uh, uh, targeting uh, the, the Jews on their, based on their religion and they massacred them, these people, they would massacre everybody that uh, uh, opposed to their agenda. These people are genocidal people and they are indoctrinated in a way that you are not able to negotiate with them. They have a different set of mentality. Uh, uh, maybe you can, me and you and many other people, uh, we have different opinions, but we can, we are able to speak, we are able to negotiate together, we are able to speak in a uh, civilized way. These people, they don't understand the language of uh, uh, negotiation. The only way possible to deal with them is force. You have to force them to go out. And we succeeded in doing so. The Syrian army succeeded to force them to go out of Aleppo. And they saved the lives of thousands of uh, tens of thousands of civilians and they saved the lives of uh, uh, those who were sending the last messages. If the Syrian army was a militia or a shabiha as this uh, Western governments, are, uh, the Western media and the Gulf media are claiming, the Syrian, the Syrian army should have killed these people who were working uh, for five years to six years to, uh, to demonize the Syrian government. But the Syrian government acted as a state as a respectful state, and they allowed them to go out because there was a deal between the both sides. Just imagine for one second if uh, the equation was uh, the opposite. If the opposition, the so-called opposition, this terrorist besieged West Aleppo and they occupied it, what would happen to the government forces? They would all be beheaded and their heads would be hanged on sticks in the streets of Aleppo. This is what happened in Idlib. This is what happened in Raqqa. This is what happened in Homs and in many places this terrorist occupied. So this is the difference between the Syrian government and these terrorists, genocidal people that the Western governments and the Gulf governments are supporting. And then you hear people like this um, Mohammed Shafiq in, uh, from the Ramadan Foundation in that segment at the end. He said, you know, I want we want a political solution in Syria. You know, <laughs> how can you have and and I have to ask, you know, in any country, you know, when when the opposition is chopping off heads and sticking them on pikes at, uh, at the entrance to the city, how can you have a political solution with them? You know, the, there is no political solution. They're, they're already. Uh, it, it expired, you know, the minute that you take up arms uh, against the government um, and you start shooting police officers, kidnapping, killing people, there, you, there is no political solution. I mean, what government in their right mind would negotiate with these uh, and who are mostly foreigners and foreign led and foreign funded and foreign armed? There, how can you have a political solution? I mean, what sort of fantasy land are some of these Western uh, pundits living in? Uh, whereby yes. th they would advocate such a thing. It's, to it, me, unbelievable. 
imagine in Syria, the people, uh, the people say uh, uh, the only opposition that I hear now to the government uh, are those people who are pro-government, but they are saying you are acting so softly against these terrorists. You are giving them chances over and over again. What? Why allow? Why did you allow the uh, five thousand fighters to escape from Aleppo to Idlib? These people are going to fight again against you. Why did you allow them to go? You know, uh, the people are asking the government why you are acting so softly against this uh, this uh, militants. Uh, uh, the the, sta- the Syrian government is acting in a very gentle way. Uh, you know, the people uh, are asking for harsher solutions, stronger uh, uh, reactions against retaliations against these terrorists. And now the question is, where this terrorist would go if the Syrian government decided to advance to Idlib? Because Idlib nowadays is the biggest uh, terrorist heaven, uh, the biggest heaven for the terrorists. Where would they go? Uh, The the Turkish side is is now constructed a wall, <laughs> Trump wall, in uh, uh, on the borders with Idlib, it's all blocked. So, w- w- what what's the face of these people? You know, and uh, let's see what will happen. Maybe we will hear more messages, last messages from Idlib soon. Yeah, well, it, I think I think uh, that's the new Islamic State uh, is is in Idlib. So, uh, we'll it'll get very interesting uh, in the next uh, in the next year. Or so, but I mean, hopefully, yeah. Kavork, we can. Uh, we can reconvene and have a discussion about the, uh, the the coming Geneva talks. I'd love to get your input on that later on, uh, and also other breaking news uh, with regards uh, to to this issue, and also European politics as well, because I know you you have a very good uh, um, a handle on what's going on in Germany, for instance, uh, with regards to you know the government turmoil there over the migrant crisis. So you know we'd love to get yes. you back on the program again. Uh, and we really appreciate your time uh, on this Sunday's program. It would program. be my pleasure. It would yeah. be my pleasure, sir. And uh, and where can they go again to see your? Uh, you give us a shout for your uh, web page and where they can get more information about your work. Yeah, of course. Uh, uh, if the the our audience want to check my latest uh, reports, I'm creating YouTube videos uh, on Syrian analysis. They can check the reports I'm making twice per week. Uh, reports about Syria and also greater geopolitical issues. They can also check the Syrian Analysis Facebook page and my personal account, Kevork Almasian, on uh, Facebook and Twitter. I'm very active now nowadays on social media, and uh, uh, most of my writings are in English, so it would be easy for them to follow uh, the news and the analysis. Okay. Okay. Well, there's a link to your uh, your page there up on our show page right now if you want to see more of his work, and hopefully we'll speak to uh, Kavork again. Keep your eyes out. You might see him on uh, some of the media spots with uh, RT as well. But uh, take care, Kavork, and thank you again for your work. Thank you. Thank there you, sir. He, there he goes, ladies and gentlemen, Kavork Almasian from Syriana Analysis. We're going to take a short commercial break, and we'll be right back after these messages to mop up this uh, fake news week. We've got more to come. Stay right there.
day's gonna come Oh, yes it will It's been too hard living But I'm afraid to die Extra roll up, roll up, get your fake news, New York Times, Washington Post, LA Times, get your fake news, roll up, roll up, fake news here, fake news here, fake news everywhere. We got Time Magazine, copies of Time Magazine, lots of fake news, lots of fake news, fresh, fresh off the press, fresh news, fake fresh news, here, there, and everywhere. Wait a minute, they're on TV, but if they were in print, we'd have them here on the fake news stand. Get your fake news, roll up, roll up, fake news here.